Welcome to The Dig on the Huskers Radio Network podcast. Featuring Nebraska Volleyball Director of Operations, Lindsay Peterson. Here's your host, Jessica Cootie. Welcome back into another episode of The Dig. I'm Jessica Cootie and joined this week by Director of Operations, Lindsay Peterson. Welcome back. Thanks. Great to be back again. Non-conferences closed and closed out with a bang. How about that win over Kentucky? I mean, uh, Kentucky came out and put up a fight there in those third and fourth sets, but you guys were able to close it out. Um, what, what enabled you guys to get over that and, and close it out there in the fourth? Yeah, we, we knew Kentucky, um, they had a very talented, they have some talented right side. We knew seeing their schedule that they were going to be a tough team, and they continued to get better as the match went on. Um, felt like their hitters got in better rhythm, and we really couldn't stress their passers a bunch with our serving. They passed really well and defended us really well. Um, and like I said, they just got more comfortable as the match went on, and, and you could see that. Um, our girls had to really dig deep and um, with some of the longer rallies and just really be gritty to get through it um, because uh, Kentucky was not backing down at all and they had settled into the environment and I think we're actually thriving off the environment a lot of teams do that when they come they enjoy playing in front of those mini fans and that type of environment and uh, so Kentucky played a a great great match and, and really gave us all we wanted. How good was that? being that that's the last match before you headed into Big Ten where it's almost night in and night out, a battle like that. Yeah, it's exactly what we need, especially going into Big Ten. Everyone knows our conference is a big challenge, has top teams every night that we're going to face. And um, to be able to fill a little adversity, have your back against the wall, um, have some players step up in key moments for us, just helps our depth and our confidence for our team. Uh, I think it also gives our team – a little bit of confidence going on the road knowing that, hey, we can not play our best in one set and come back and respond against a good team and find a way to get it done. And so um, every coach, when you schedule non-conference, you want to have some tests in the non-conference to help build your team's stamina and resilience going into conference play. And I feel like last week with Stanford and Kentucky and what we got from both those matches really caused our team's resilience to rise up a little bit and to carry that, carry that into this conference season. Well, you know, I got to ask you about that rally in the fourth set. What was your perspective of it? I mean, I was standing over there in the tunnel, and when it ended, it was like, it was deafening. It was so loud in there, but it was just, it was never ending. It was never ending. I felt like every time the ball crossed the net, I got a little closer to the edge of my seat getting ready because I thought it was going to be it. And a couple of times felt myself jumping up thinking the ball was down, and it wasn't. So, um, I mean, kudos to both teams. That's incredible rally and grit by both sides. And just effort. I mean, I think our team thrives on being a defensive team and scrappy and um, effort, all out effort all the time. And Kentucky did the exact same thing. And you could see both teams by the time that rally was over, they were um, exhausted because, (laughs) I mean, it was probably five to six times the length of what a normal rally is in volleyball. So it definitely, the conditioning over the summer and what our team has done up to that point came into play for that rally specifically because that's just not a normal volleyball rally, obviously. And um, to see the crowd, I mean, we won the rally, thank goodness, but just to see them celebrate how good a volleyball and, and to show their appreciation for what that rally was for both teams, I think was special. Yeah, it gives me chills just thinking about it because it was like, if people were on their seats at the beginning, everybody was standing by the end of it. I mean, yeah, and- as you watched it, it was like more and more people. It was like everyone was slowly creeping up. The stands were 
every, every time you turned around, there was another person standing in their seats. I, was, I saw the same thing and thought it was pretty cool. I asked Merritt about it. She's like, well, I think uh, we were all ready for it to be over. It was exhausting. And she said that's by far the longest rally she's ever been a part of. So that's not normal to have rallies like that. Definitely not normal. And uh, I think if you ask anybody in our team, and probably even Coach Cook, it's probably the longest rally he's been a part of. It just... Like I said, it was scrappy plays, and several times you thought the play was going to be over, and somebody got it up and um, found a way to get it done. And uh, I, our players continued, though, to stick with it. That's what um, was reassuring and exciting for us to see is they stayed disciplined. The more the rally went on, the more disciplined they stayed and um, understood, like, as their bodies were getting a little more fatigued, the more they had to rely on, you know, being smart with their shots and not trying to make a heroic play, just trying to, to give their team the best opportunity to win it. You guys were trailing at that point. A big win, a big point like that, how much of a momentum swing can that be in a set? I think that was a huge swing for us in that set, as well as a couple points later, there's a big play where um, the Kentucky setter went to attack it and just hit the top of the net and fell on her side. I think those two points were big game-changing moments in that set for us. Could really feel the momentum swing. Um, when you win a rally like that, uh, your team just, after you do it all and not win, it almost like kind of takes the wind out of your sails and because um, you gave so much effort and didn't come out victorious. But to, for our team to do that, I think they really build off of that and went back and, and used it as an opportunity to try to make a run. No Lainey Choboy, no Lindsey Krause. And, you know, I know that you guys have a motto where it's 14 strong, and anybody, when they get their opportunity, come in and, and close the door, rip the hinges off, yeah. I believe, is, is what the saying is. So for some of the players that got an opportunity last night, like Allie Batenhorst, I mean, how big was that for this team that, that they stepped up and, and rose to the challenge? Yeah, we pride ourselves on 14 strong, and our players are constantly training and practice to be ready for their moment. Um, you never know. Your moments always could come, and you have to be ready to come in and, and that's a very difficult role is to be standing and have to come in at a certain time and be able to perform. And um, I thought last night Allie handled the, um, her role very well. She came in and had huge swings for us at key times. Um, our, our team never really felt like they missed a beat. And Macy as well came in, served for us, played some, um, had some big defensive plays and, and passed well for us. So both of those had made the most of their opportunity. And I think it only gave our team confidence knowing that going forward, we may have some adversity or an illness or an injury, whatever it may be, and we'll still be able to put um, the same type of team out on the court as if somebody is out. If, is there something that's impressed you the most? I know you guys look, don't look back, and you're always constantly moving forward, and, and what's, what's the next thing on, this, on the schedule, but is there something that's impressed you the most about this team so far as you now look back and, and you're heading into the conference play? Um, I would say I'm just, I'm really impressed with how mature our team has been. They've done a tremendous job of next point mentality. I mean, we've played some tough matches. We've played some very talented and physical teams and understanding that those teams are going to make some great plays and get their points, but being able to move past that point and get focused on the next one and, and try to, you know, limit the number of runs that those teams go on. And, if you think back through our non-conference, I can't remember a time during a match where our team allowed our opponent to go on a very big run. Um, and that's unusual, especially with younger teams and especially this early in season. And so I, th I thought that impressed me the most, this non-conference, is just how focused our team was. And um, next point mentality, they moved on from mistakes and they constantly stayed focused on um, each other and, and moving through and not letting any of the outside dist uh, noise distract them.
So you're a big part of building the schedule each year, and how do you go about figuring out which teams you want on? I know sometimes Coach Cook wants to get a tie-in if you have like a sister or family member or a coach, but how do you guys go about assembling that? And is it different year by year depending on the kind of team that you have? It will vary a little bit year by year. Um, like you said, if we're trying to get back to somebody's hometown um, or a family matchup or something like that, we will look at that as we schedule out. We're usually working on our schedule a year in advance to try to set up our non-conference scheduling. Um, we also want to try to schedule teams that are going to help in our RPI because we know going into conference, our, the Big Ten has got a very high RPI. Um, however, we want to play teams in the non-conference that are going to have a successful conference season as well. To, so when it comes down to the end of the year, the teams we played those first four weeks will actually help us in our seeding towards the end of the year. So we look for teams that have made the, the, the tournament, who are winning their conference, um, who will get some wins here and there against big teams. They have the capability to do that. Maybe they're not from a Pac-5 school, but they're a school that traditionally has a strong volleyball program. Um, so we'll look to schedule in that area. Um, sometimes we are in like the four-year rotation that we have with Stanford, Kentucky, Louisville, and Nebraska. Yeah. That was set up for four years. So that rotation has been set, and we, we all agreed upon that. And so then that's a four-year deal. So we understand what our travel days are going to look like then, and we want to make sure that we're not scheduling too much travel early on, um, knowing that we'll have some tough travel weeks coming forward in the Big Ten and trying to keep our athletes fresh. So there's a lot of different things you keep in mind. Um, sometimes to get a team to play here, uh, if you don't give them a guarantee, your guarantee is to go to their place to play. They want, like Kansas State wanted us to be at their facility to help open their brand new facility. So that was an agreement we made two years ago when they came here, is we scheduled that to come down there when they open their new facility. So sometimes those things will come into play, but normally when we're looking at scheduling, we have um, RPI in the back of our mind and then also uh, student athlete welfare, what's going to be the best for our athletes early on in the season as far as travel and wear and tear and school and everything like that. So for some of these teams, they might not ever get to experience an atmosphere, which there aren't very many. There are just very few atmospheres like what you get inside Devaney. So when you call some teams that you guys have never played and it's going to be their first time and, and they want this kind of opportunity, what's, what's some of their reaction? It's got to be probably pretty cool when you're calling up some of these teams like, hey, you want to come play us? Yeah. Um, you know, we usually, a lot of teams jump at the opportunity because, mm -hmm. like you said, they want to put their team in an atmosphere like this. They want them to experience that. Um, but they also want uh, their team to come and compete at a high level against a high-level team because it also benefits them to play us. And their, their RPI win or lose because our RPI is usually so high. So um, it, you would think there would be a lot of teams that want to do it. Sometimes it is difficult, though, to get teams to come and commit because um, some of those teams are looking to try to just get as many wins as they can non-conference uh, because they may be going into a tough conference as well. So um, depending the year some, is easier sometimes than other years. Um, but a lot of times when we reach out to these uh, non-Power 5 teams that are you know, strong volleyball programs, they're excited for the opportunity to come to Nebraska and play in this type of, of atmosphere and at this level of volleyball. Has it changed, too, just throughout the years of, of how you schedule the non-conference because of how tough the Big Ten is that you don't want to get too beat up in the non-conference? Yeah, we, we definitely um, gear our non-conference based off, one, our team, what our team looks like that year returning. We, you want to use the non-conference a little bit to, to get confidence build up going mm -hmm. into conference play, knowing that 
we're going to have a heck of a 10 weeks ahead of us in conference. So um, allowing your team to try to get a rhythm and build some confidence. You don't want to just play people where night in, night out, it's a nail biter and you may come out with a losing record in non-conference. But it also is important that you challenge your team and you face a little adversity. So having an opportunity to play Kentucky, Stanford, teams like that, you know, Long Beach that that are going to challenge us because we've got to see how our team reacts to challenge and, and faces adversity. And um, it trains us to be able to compete um, in the conference and what we will be able to do against those bigger matchups that we face. Another thing I wanted to get into you, get into with you about is is rotations and how you guys go about who's starting and, and how you line things up and, and how that looks, I guess, when you're looking at the other team and, and their matchup and their rotation. So how does that work? We get a lot of questions on our text line, and, and I know we've got a lot of, you guys got a lot of new fans and, and people that are tuning in, and that's one of the biggest questions that we get when they're trying to figure out how this, this game works. And so when you're putting together a rotation, how does, how does that work for you guys? Well, I would say it's probably different for each coach. There's a lot of different factors that come into play. It is kind of a chess match. I mean, mm -hmm. trying to guess what the other team's going to do and then match up accordingly to be provide the best defense. Um, a lot of teams will start with, if they get the serve, they're going to want their best server serving. And um, we try to put our rotations where our top servers are going to be serving the most. So you want to start in those rotations knowing that, say you go, you'll usually go around two, maybe three times in a set to 25. You want your top servers getting to serve two or three times. Um, so you'll want them being early in the rotation going back to serve. Sometimes teams match up based off of um, block matchups and, and attacker matchups. So if they feel like they have an advantage against maybe a smaller blocker on the other side and want to get a certain hitter matched up against that, they may set their rotations based off of what they think the other team's matchup will be. So if we we're trying to match up um, Harper against maybe a smaller outside block because we knew she could go over them all the time, then we may have to adjust our rotation to try to set it where she'd be in front row against that blocker um, from the opposing team as much as possible. A lot of times those type of switches don't happen until later in the match mm -hmm. as you see how the match goes and see how the matchups, you know, what matchups are working and what, um, which ones aren't. Those are the, time, the times you'll do your kind of switch your rotations later on in the match. Um, but as far as starting the match, a lot of times I would say teams are going to want to start with their stronger server or their strongest side-out rotation um, serve receive. And usually that's getting their top attacker in the front row for the longest period of time and their top server serving the ball at the, at the earliest point of the, seat of the game. So when the other team, like, so let's go back to Stanford, and they switched their rotation, I think it was in the second set, mm -hmm. right? How do you guys go about combating that? Like, at what point do you make changes, or do you just stick with what you got at that point? Well, obviously, once you submit your lineup, your lineup is, is. Mm -hmm. so sometimes you don't anticipate that change, and then they make it, and there's nothing you can do. So at that point, you basically, you basically use the matchup you have, and if you need to make adjustments as the match goes on as far as with your attacker or your blockers taking certain shots or helping them understand we need to rotate our defense a little bit differently here to um, try to balance out what they did at the net with their um, attacking switch. But um, then it comes into the, your third set, and you see how the game goes, and mm -hmm. then you decide, well, guess is a guessing game. Are they going to stay? Are they going to flip it again because they think we're going to flip it? So that's, that's the chess match. And, um, but a lot of times you want to try to have some consistency with your team. If you're constantly starting a match in a different rotation, it doesn't allow your team to get in a very smooth rhythm in your mm -hmm. team because they're, they're unsure, they're not used to it, they're not, um, 
they're, they're a little bit hesitant because they don't understand why we're starting where we are. So um, it's just for us, it's trying to stay routine as much as possible and then training our hitters to be able to match up against whatever hitter they may face and knowing that, hey, you may, you may go up, be against this big blocker. If you have this blocker in front of you, this is what you need to do. If you are matched up against this hitter, you need to do X, Y, and Z here yeah. when you're blocking. So that's more of our adjustments, especially in-game, once the, the lineups have been set and you can't make any changes. Okay, makes sense for sure. What about, you talk about having your best servers. How do you guys go about um, identifying who those players are? And is it, I know you probably see it in practice, but then you got to deliver it in a match, right? Yeah, so we're constantly looking at our stats and seeing um, what are, who's point scoring the most in their rotations. So point scoring doesn't necessarily mean that they're going back and serving a serves, but we're running the most points when they're serving. So it could be a matchup thing, or it could be just because our, that server is definitely stressing their passers the most, which allow our defense to have the most success. So we look at those numbers to see. We also look at um, service ace air percentage to see where our servers are there um, to understand that who our top servers are. Um, and then also some, we, we have some servers who are really good serving short, and there's certain opportunities and rotations that teams will have a short serve can really disrupt their offensive patterns. So understanding those servers and, and their strengths there and trying to match that up with, with those rotations on the other team. But um, statistics are, are huge for us in determining our best server. And, and sometimes, like you said, it's not, it's not necessarily doing in practice. It's how you produce in the game, and that's, that's the numbers we look at to see where, what rotations are we scoring the most points. Did you like to serve? I did. Yeah. I really like to serve. Yeah, I feel like, you know, serving is the one time in the match. It's just your only single opportunity you have a chance to score a point for your team. There's no other time where you can solely score that point. So um, it's a little bit of a challenge, but I also feel like it's an incredible um, piece to have as a team. If you have everyone going back with that mindset, here's my opportunity mm -hmm. to score this point for my team. And as you watch, I mean, serving is getting more and more aggressive and challenging each year. I mean, the level of servers across that we're facing night in and night out is um, extremely tough. And so serving is such a key part. And, and it isn't necessarily, like I said, the ace. Because if you have somebody that's passed, they might pass the ball, but if it's passing and they're only given a one-hitter option to set, that definitely falls in the defensive advantage because mm -hmm. everyone knows where that set's going to go and, and allows your defense to get set up. Yeah, I love that. Uh, another thing that I had to get your perspective on because, you know, you were such a big part in, in planning and executing the volleyball day in Nebraska, and we talked to you leading into that, but we haven't been able to talk to you since. But since then, it's almost like every night we're seeing records or just crazy crowds that are on TV and, and the ESPN matches and, and the Big Ten matches, and it's just, it continues. It's like you guys set something on, on fire a little bit. You just, this huge ripple effect, which is what Tyler Hildebrand said that it, after his match that, this, this big ripple effect that has really impacted the sport. So what has been your perspective on, on seeing that and taking that in across the country of the interest and in, in how much has this has ignited something in the sport, I feel like? Yeah, obviously, as part of that day, Volleyball Day in Nebraska, our hope was to um, bring volleyball to the limelight and to give it more visibility and the attention it deserves. And I think looking back on the ripple effect that it has had, I, I think we have accomplished that. And um, you see it, the images and the, it's talked about in all these matches on TV. They always keep going back to Volleyball Day in Nebraska, mm -hmm. 92,000 fans, and, and um, showing what, what we did here on that day. And I think it just brought attention to volleyball. And um, every 
every uh, sporting event now within or every venue is now using it as an opportunity to try to set their own record or to see what they can do. Um, and the the level of volleyball and the and the matchups that you've seen in non-conference. I mean, there's been some incredible matches on with highly ranked teams playing each other. Um, and I I think it really has sparked um, a true kind of love for volleyball that we haven't seen um, in past years. And and the visibility that it has in the media that it's getting is exciting to see and to know that everything we did to try to make it. Um, you know, think outside the box and set a new standard and, and set the bar for volleyball is actually is actually being felt and impacting um, teams around the nation. I know you guys had a hope for that, but did you expect it to this level? I don't think we expected it at this level. I think our expectations were that there would probably be uh, teams going out trying to set some type of record, but to see it night in and night out, I mean, there's been some days where there's been three or four different venues that have had matches televised where it's their record crowds. And um, to see that attention on the sport, and it's also just the, the amount of media attention. I mean, last night we were playing at 6.30 on a Sunday night. That's, we've never had a 6.30 match on a Sunday night. So with media trying to get grab the fans when they can and, and seeing um, you know, how it plays with a later match and trying not to compete against football, you know, college football games and, and allowing more fans to watch the sport has been key for us as well. And um, I, I know the hope was there and we always talk about, you know, dreaming big and trying to um, move the sport forward here. And so that was our intention for volleyball day, but the, the, what, what has taken place since then has definitely, I think, surpassed our expectation. I love that. I love that. Okay, let's talk uh, what's ahead. And you got Big Ten opener coming up on Friday, and both matches here, the, the two to open up at home. Another Sunday match that you're just referring to on uh, September 24th against Minnesota, so a big one coming up this Sunday, and then Friday the 22nd against Ohio State. Is there anything that changes in the approach now that you go into Big Ten play? Uh, I, I would say we keep our approach the same. We're very much a creature of habit with how we prepare each week and um, the daily routine of our players and how we train. So we you know, spend one day focusing on our side of the net, then we'll take a couple of days focusing on what our opponents are doing and preparing for those, and then allowing our team to get ready for the best matchup on Friday night. So um, our approach is the same with how we're, we're training in the gym. Uh, we may be as far as, as preparing for those teams, there may be a little bit of a different approach because they're Big Ten and we know their tendencies a little better and what they're known for. The, you know, Ohio State is always known to, they have a quick middle, they have a great outside that loves to do this. So we're aware of that early on when some of these teams that you play just once in the non-conference, you do get to see video on a couple times, but it's not somebody you see once or twice a year, year after year, where you get a true feel of what their offense and their team looks like. So. Um, but it's Big Ten play, and I think everyone gets a little bit more excited once you start conference. We talk about our year as like three different seasons. We did our non-conference season. Now we're, we're in our second season of conference play, and this is truly the longest and most um, testing part of our entire season, the season is. So um, to start it off and get an opportunity to start at home against two really big uh, Big Ten opponents who will come in with great teams, and they're well-coached, they're well-disciplined, um, they have a great tradition of being big matches for us. Uh, I think our, our team is excited for that because uh, when you face a Big Ten opponent, you always have a little bit more energy because you know it's a little more on the line um, because it is conference play. 
What about when you have the quick turnarounds? I mean, sometimes you have back-to-backs and then sometimes just a, a, a day between on, on Saturday. How do you guys go about preparing for, for two teams in a weekend like this? Is it something where you look at both teams leading up through the week or do you not look at Minnesota till after you're done with Ohio State? No, we'll definitely look at both teams uh, in the week. Um, early on, our attention will probably be on Minnesota just to start prepping some of their tendencies and stuff. And then um, probably Wednesday, Thursday, a switch goes to Ohio State. And so our focus is fresh on them and our players understand um, what we're preparing for for them. And then after we play Ohio State Saturday, we'll use that day to prep for Minnesota. Now, like you said, some days we play Friday and turn around and play Saturday. So our prep has to be for both teams um, during the week. You'll do basically one day for your Saturday match, two days for geared towards your Friday match and then you got to come back on Saturday and a lot of your prep has to be through video and understanding and, and learning visually versus actually doing it on the court. So um, our serve and pass times when we do go back to back are really important on those Saturdays on that second day because that's really our um, most real fresh look of preparing for that team um, just a few hours before the match. Um, besides what we saw on the video. Wow, crazy. Okay, so let's talk um, Ohio State first. Give us some keys for the Huskers against Ohio State, what we, what we can be watching for in this matchup. Well, we know Ohio State has an incredible outside in, in Emily Londa, and she's been playing for them for, this is her fourth season starting. So our team is very familiar with her and her tendencies. We know she's going to get the ball. Um, they bring in a different matchup and lineup than they had last year because they graduated several of their players However, they're still a team that will go fast. They, they um, are a great serving team, and we know they're a very physical team. So we have to be prepared to um, match up with you know, a big block and expect uh, them to come back at us in transition and, and to be aware of all times of where um, London is on the court because they're going to find her front row and back row. So um, understanding that they're going to get the ball to her when it really counts. And then on Sunday, number nine, top ten matchup with Minnesota. Uh, what can we look for in that one? You know, Minnesota is a little bit of a different team. I mean, they return an outside and a setter that have been with them for a long time. And they're in Taylor Landfield on the outside. She was a Big Ten player of the year last year. And um, so uh, similar to when we played Stanford, you know, telling our players, like, she's going to get our kills, but we got to be able to slow her down. And how quickly do we bounce back from those um, those kills that she gets? And so understanding that it's a little bit different matchup because they have um, a very experienced setter. They have um, some, some height and talent in the, in the middle, middle, and then their libero is a transfer from Ohio State or a fifth year, and, and we know she's one of the best liberos in the conference. So um, defensively, we got to expect those long rallies, and um, we got to put pressure on them serving because they can be a very difficult team to stop when they're in system. Do you like that 6.30 Sunday night match? Uh, uh, yeah, it wasn't too bad. I think um, we tried to front load our team as much as possible, understanding that it would be a different feel being a Sunday night and not truly having a weekend day off because um, we practiced on Saturday and then there was a football game Saturday night. So trying to manage a football game, home football game and, and us being focused on our opponent the next day um, and then getting in a rhythm. It's easy to get in a rhythm for a match when it is a Friday, Saturday. But Sunday, when you're used to that being, you know, your down day or you go to church and have time to get caught up on laundry and homework, but yet now we have this big match, we had to get our players focused. And we talked about it several times leading up to the match last week. So it, it's good to see how they responded and how they came out to play on a Sunday night. And um, this group, I think, is just eager to play and is, is competitive. And 
um, will bring bring try to bring their A game every time they step on the court. So I, I, I thought Sunday night wasn't wasn't bad. It gives them today the day to kind of recover and, and get ready for a big weekend. Coach Cook challenged the fans to make it like a Saturday night on a Sunday night. I think they they delivered, right? Yeah, it was the atmosphere was great, and then, um, I think some of that had to do with the volleyball that you saw in the matchup. And but um, the crowd definitely home court advantage and um, had an incredible atmosphere for a Sunday evening match. All right, well, great stuff as always, Lindsay Peterson. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, and we're not done just quite yet with this episode of the day. We got another special guest coming up. Welcome back to The Dig. I told you we had a very special guest, a special episode for this episode of The Dig. Whitney Mertens from Lincoln, Nebraska. You have your own podcast. You're a big mm -hmm. Nebraska volleyball fan. Yeah. Well, first of all, let's tell the, tell the listeners how you got here because you came to Nebraska, to Volleyball Day in Nebraska, right? And mm -hmm. said that you watched The Dig, right? Yeah, I love listening to The Dig. So, uh, that's yeah. awesome. Well, tell mm -hmm. us about your podcast. Um, so it's called Nugs Know Best, and you can listen on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And we interview um, different people in the sports world, nutrition, fitness, volleyball, um, different people like that. And we've interviewed quite a few Husker volleyball players. So yeah, yeah. listen, it's really impressive. You guys should check it Thank out you. if you're listening. How did you get into that? Why did you want to do it? Um, so me and my friend, we kind of started a podcast. Um, and we thought, oh, this is kind of cool, but we weren't actually posting anything because we didn't know how. So we kind of looked it up how to start a podcast and just clicked on a random website and recorded one um, at a sleepover at 1 a.m. And then we just kind of thought, oh, we kind of like this. So maybe we should, you know, take this a little bit more seriously. So we did that and it's kind of blossomed from, you know, kind of blossomed from there. That's so amazing. And 13 at 13, <laughs> that's so incredible. And you play volleyball, right? Yeah, I do. It's, I love volleyball. So, and so, and then you're a huge Nebraska volleyball fan too, yes. right? Yeah. Yes. What do you like about Nebraska volleyball? Um, specifically their culture and their coaching staff. You know, I feel like you go to big places like Texas and, you know, I, Texas is a great program. It's just the culture at Nebraska is unlike any other. So have you been yeah. going to games your whole life? Um, yeah, I have gone to quite a few matches and I've been very blessed for that because, you know, they sell at every match. So it's a pretty cool atmosphere to go to one. What was it like? I'm so jealous you got to be here in the, <laughs> in the stadium. I was at the football team in Minnesota. How special was Volleyball Day in Nebraska? I mean, it was amazing just seeing everybody there for Nebraska volleyball. It was crazy. There were of course, 92,003 fans there, and it was an absolutely insane atmosphere. As a young volleyball player, as a, as a young girl that you look up to this, the, the players on this team, how inspiring was that for you to get to be a part of it? Because I've been talking about how, and, and we've heard so many people say how big this is for the sport and for women's mm -hmm. sports. And there's a lot of coaches that say that, but for, but for a young woman that is, is growing up and, and getting to see this, what does that do for you to get to see that? I mean, I think it's, of course, inspiring, you know, seeing I want to play on that field someday, you know, and whether it does happen or not, it's motivational for you to, you know, think, how can I get to that point where I can play in front of 92,003 fans, you know? So I think, you know, regardless of what sport you play, you know, just being a woman or, you know, an athlete in the crowd, how can you not be inspired by that? Oh, I love that. So well said. How is this, by the way? Because you're usually asking the questions, right? How do you like yeah. me asking you the questions? <laughs> I mean... It's a little bit more nerve-wracking slash relaxing because, <laughs> I, I don't know, you don't have to worry about, you know, what they'll say or when they'll say it or anything, but you got to make sure you say the right things. So, yeah, yep, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, so you want to keep broadcasting, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe podcasting? 
yeah, I definitely want to be a sports broadcaster when I grow up or, you know, work somewhere in women's sports. So it's a definite dream of mine. I love that. Grow up for my own heart. <laughs> well, tell us your thoughts on this volleyball team this year. Mm-hmm. They're, they're something else, right? Yeah, I think that they're very good. And I honestly think that even if they do get behind their competitive spirit, you know, I don't think that there's any way that they could lose a match right now. <laughs> honestly, just because, you know, even if, like I said, if they do get behind, you've got Lainey Choboy, Harper Murray, you know, sometimes you get worried about the freshmen, but they are competitors, you know, and Becca Alec, she was going off at this last match, you know, she was very excited for it. So, yeah. You know your stuff. <laughs> you know your stuff. Who's, who has impressed you the most? If you had to just pick one player that's really stood out to you so far this season. Um, honestly, I think Andy Jackson's athleticism, I could watch her all day. She gets so high and her contact point is, is incredible. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Well, what do you think about the Big Ten? How do you mm-hmm. see that shaking out this year? Yeah, I think it'll definitely be competitive as always. You know, Big Ten is, in my opinion, the toughest conference in college volleyball. Um, I think that Wisconsin's obviously going to be a tough team, as well as Minnesota, because they got a couple transfers, but some people transferred out as well. And then I would say, you know, you got your Maryland's, your Illinois. I think that they'll be good, but Wisconsin is going to be the team to beat for sure. So you have been a longtime Nebraska volleyball fan, mm-hmm. and to see all the attention and how many people now are, are loving this sport, loving the Oscars, paying attention. Mm-hmm. You see the ratings on TV. What does that mean to you to get to see all the, the people that are now paying attention to Nebraska volleyball? Yeah, it's amazing. You know, of course, I think, well, they've been doing this for so long, and now it's finally starting to get the attention that they deserve because, you know, the athletes and the coaching staff, they all work so hard, and they're really starting to get that attention. So I think credit to them, obviously, because it's really cool what they're doing for the sport. What about, too, now you're seeing, like, you saw the record attendance. It's almost like every night we're hearing some kind of record that was broken, the attendance that was broken. Uh, What do you think about all that and seeing that night in and night out and and how many people are are going and watching whatever volleyball team that's that's in action? Yeah, I mean, there have been so many good volleyball matches, and I think people all over, ever since that match, they've been thinking, hmm, volleyball's on, maybe we should watch it. And, you know, like the Nebraska-Stanford game, that was on ESPN, not ESPN 1 or ESPN 2. So I think... They're trying to put in a real effort for making Nebraska or, you know, volleyball a well-known sport. All right. Well, when you get to college or <laughs> you graduate, you get your degree, you need a broadcasting, you need a spot, <laughs> you, you let me know, okay? Because okay. people hire you. Uh, tell us again, tell the listeners one more time where they can find your podcast. Um, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So, All right. Yeah. And, and the name of it one more time. Um, Nugs No Best. All right. I love it. Whitney Mertens from Lincoln, Nebraska. You are incredible, inspiring. Can't wait to watch. You got big things ahead of you, girl. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Dig. Make sure you subscribe and like wherever you listen to never miss an episode.